by uh, Romans 12 is where we're going to be. Uh, I would say to you, if you're a high schooler and wondering if you should go, the answer is yes. And if you're a parent, it's pretty simple. Sell something um, and get, get your son or daughter there because I wish I could have gone when I was in high school, dreamed of it. It didn't happen. And what happens is when you're in another culture, in another place, and you see God at work, it does something in your own soul. So if you want to change and enhance the trajectory of your child for decades to come down to your great-grandchildren, uh, I would suggest that you sell something fast and get your kid there. All right? You, if you're wondering how I feel about that, now you know. Straight up. If you're wondering, is he always like this? The answer is yes. Turning the heat up this week. All right, let's pray, and we'll go Romans 12, uh, verse 9 is where we'll start. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And we ask and invite you, God, to take this portion of the day and this portion of the week and transform it. Use these next few minutes to renew our mind that we would begin to see the world as you do and begin to see everything else as less important. God, we're asking you to go deep into the way we think and breathe, not just the behavior, so that we'll be more like you, Jesus, and in living like you, the world will believe that there's a better way, and it's you. And Lord, we're asking you to really shake us up this morning. God, do it, uh, even today as we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so here we are. We're in week two of a series called Real Love. If you're new to the church, welcome. We look through large portions of the Bible. We've been in a long study in Romans. We took a break for the summer. We've come back to chapter 12. Here we are in the new year, and we find ourselves in verses 9 through 13. And um, if you're wondering what this is about in the big picture, real love is about how we follow Jesus together. We're trying to figure out what God says about the way we care for one another. And this isn't going to be everything the Bible says about love, but it certainly is an important one. And I'm convinced, as I've been looking at it in detail, if we would just live up to Romans 12, 9 and following, through to chapter 13, into chapter 14. If we just live this, forget about everything else. Not only would we be different people, this world would be a better place. Because this lays out a way for us to have our faith show up in the real world. So no small goals here. <laughs> in the end, we're hoping we all look more like Jesus. Not just for our good, but because there are people who want to know, is that Christian thing worthwhile? Is that Jesus thing for real? And guess what? We get to display it in the way we care about one another. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Romans um, 12, we'll read verses 9 through 13. We're going to focus on one line, and uh, I could guarantee you uh, we're going to turn up the heat. All right, I, I'm just warning you. All right, love, verse 9, must be sincere. We saw that from last week. Love must be without play acting. Love shouldn't pretend. Hate what's evil, cling to what's good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Last week, if you missed it, we have a uh, podcast and YouTube channel. You can see the details, but basically three things. Uh, real love is sincere, hates what's evil, or is horrified by what horrifies God. Behavior that is absolutely against the heart of God, we're supposed to hate it too. Not people, but behavior, mindsets, attitudes that are unlike God. We should stand with God. But not just negatively, positively, that same thing. Hating what's evil is the same thing as clinging to what's good. Whatever God thinks is right, and if I'm with God on it, I need to hold on to that. So the key to having a sincere love, hates evil, loves the good, is to fall more in love with Jesus. Not in some, when I say fall in love with, don't think first date, like, you know, think 50 years of commitment. That's real love. Ups and downs, the highs and lows feelings and emotions that are there and when they're gone or hurt comes in, that we, we stick to Jesus as if our life depends on it, that's the kind of love that's going to change us. If we 
fall more in love with Jesus, the other stuff of how to live falls into place. So what we should do is last week we looked at verse 9, and I plan, and some of you are here, I, I kind of prepare, I send out my notes on Thursday to have some of our friends at church chime in, pray, think, make it better, because we care about you, because we care about you. Uh, and actually we do. And, and so we, we looked at verse 10, sent that out. Yesterday I was a little bit ahead of the game, and there was a ladies' meeting going on here, so I was at home, kids were hanging out, and so I looked at verse 11, trying to get ahead. If you're, like, if you're in school, getting ahead is like, never happens, but when you do, you rejoice. So I was getting ahead, verse 11, and, and I'm going to map it out because that's next Sunday. And, and so I was doing it, and I was just so like blown away by all that is in verse 11. It's like, man, I should do this. Like, I should. I wish I could do this tomorrow. And Jonah's sitting over on the couch, my son. And he's like, well, why don't you just switch it up? I'm like, yeah. Why didn't I think of that? So thank you, Jonah. This message goes to you. So if anyone's offended, no, anyway. Um, this, this, so what we're going to do is look at verse 11. Next week, we're going to come back and look at verse 10. They're all dimensions of love, so it's not like one, like, oh, We'll, we'll pick up on the truth uh, about love next week as well. Two things from verse 11. Let's read it again. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Two dimensions. Last week was three things about love, sincerity, hating evil, clinging to good. And today, two things I want you to write them down. The first one will be longer, but the second one is we're going to turn up the heat a little bit and we're going to expose some lies that we're believing. Okay, so second warning. Real love, uh, first thing to write down, is hard working. Real love is hard working. Again, it's not just an emotion. The word here is zeal. Never be lacking in this word zeal. Uh, whenever you look at the Bible, it's translated into our language. Here's the challenge. When we think of a word in English, it has all sorts of mindsets. But you have to remember the words that were written were actually in Greek or in the Old Testament in Hebrew and Aramaic. So it's helpful to know what the Bible word means and then how that fits with multiple English words. So rarely is there only one word you can use to describe a Bible word. Usually there's two or three. Well, this word zeal means an earnest commitment or eagerness or diligence or willingness. So there's lots of ways and uh, th isn't, one isn't more right than the other. But if you read them all, you get the idea. It's not just a general excitement you know, about your favorite team or whatever. Zeal has to do with an eager, diligent, serious commitment towards something. So never be lacking in an eagerness, a diligence, and a willingness about, here's the problem, Paul doesn't tell us what. So never be lacking in zeal. Is it zeal about prayer? Is it zeal about the Bible? Is it zeal about God's family? He doesn't say. He just says never be lacking in it but keep your spiritual fervor. Now, zeal is a command. I don't think of it that way. He's actually saying you can and you should have an eagerness, a desire, a willingness towards something. So you could literally translate this as well. NIV is fantastic. But you could say in zeal, like the command, in your zeal, don't be lazy or lacking. It's another way of saying the same thing. Never be lacking in zeal. In your zeal, never be lacking or lazy. The New Living Translation picks up on that idea and says, never be lazy, but work hard. I like that. Some of your parents are like, yeah, like, right. Never be lazy, but work hard, serving the Lord enthusiastically. So love, think real love. What does love look like? It means I become committed. God's commitment to me is already there. I never have to wonder, is he committed to my well-being? That's constant. My response, though, remember back Romans 12, 1. How, what does our worship look like? We'll, we'll pull this together in just a minute. All of this has to do with the way that we worship. So never be lacking in, in zeal. Don't become lazy. Serve enthusiastically. Why? Some of you missed the first part of Romans. And remember, everything from Romans 12 to the end is a response to the good news. Romans 1 through 11 is what the good news is. So I'll summarize the good news. God has adopted us into his family. Why, Why should I like be really diligent about my faith? 
It's because you've been adopted. And I don't know what you think about your biological or adopted family. Maybe your background is like, man, I don't even want to think about mom or dad. or I never had. Um, so we come from a, a spectrum. But we, no matter where we came from, I, I did grow up with, I thank God, a great family. But that, that being said, all of us are in a new family for real. You and I belong to Jesus, and he has brought us into his family. We are close to him. We're connected to him. So no matter the dysfunction that I'm coming from, by the power of God's love and his mercy and his grace, I am ripped out of all of that, and I now belong to Jesus so there's hope for my future. Doesn't mean I don't have to deal with the past. Doesn't mean that it doesn't show up in the emotions and the feelings and the hurts. But it means I actually belong to God. You are a son and a daughter of God if you have put faith in Jesus. And if you don't think that that's enough, he's given us the Holy Spirit. We saw that in Romans 8. And we just saw it in Romans 12 a few weeks ago. You've been given the Holy Spirit. God has come to live and reside with you. Man, I don't feel strong enough. You have power. I'm not wise enough. I don't know what to do. Wait a minute. The Holy Spirit is our wisdom. Um, I, I, I'm unsure if I belong to God's family because look at what I did. And the Holy Spirit comes and comforts us and reminds us you belong to Jesus, not because you're good, but because God is good and his grace is real. So you're a child. Now live like it. You can be free. The Holy Spirit is ours. So I belong to Christ for real. I have the Holy Spirit. More than that, I'm now on God's mission in God's world. So I belong to Jesus. Therefore, whatever dad's doing, I go into that family. And guess what? God is all about rescuing the world. He's all about taking broken things and remaking them into his image and life-giving. So he can take the worst story and turn it around. What I'm saying is in light of the gospel and God's good news to you, if you belong to Jesus, no matter what you feel, you're in God's family, you have the Holy Spirit, and God is going to use you and is using you for his good work, whether you know it or not. If all of that is true, I should not be lazy. Starting to turn up the heat. There is absolutely no room for laziness in Jesus' family. Absolutely no room for it. Now, you're saying, Jose, lazy, like... What do you mean? I mean complacent. I mean selfish. I mean self-absorbed and self-focused. There's no time for us to get our eyes off of Jesus and distracted because God wants to use us. That's why he has his church. His church, his people are to be his voice and his eyes and ears and feet and hands to this world. And you're in it. So because God wants to use you, he says to us, keep the zeal, be zealous, command. Be fervent, be committed, and don't be lazy. So here's the question. Are you lazy? Now do not, do not do this to, to anyone else. That's not going to help. Are you though, let's be honest, be honest with God because he already knows. Are you lazy? Now when I say lazy, I'm not talking about this morning. Like did you make your bed before coming to church? Are you lazy? I'm not, some of you are like, shoot, you make the bed? I'm going to get in it in a few hours. Why would you ever make it? To that, I would say, I hope you wash your sheets. But that's another story. <laughs> All right. I'm not, when I say lazy, I'm not talking about, like, did you, do you brush your teeth and floss regularly? Because that's like good oral hygiene. Could affect all of your body. The way you treat your mouth can affect everything. Believe it or not. Well, are you lazy? Well, okay, thank you. Okay. <laughs> we already have confession. This is getting real good. That's not, though. Like, I don't think Paul's writing about, Oral hygiene, and I don't think he's writing about if they made their bed, right? Because they rolled it up, it was just a little mat. Because your one room was your entire house. Which means we're spoiled. I told you, we're just going to turn up the heat. So, at the time, what is he writing about? What's the setting? The church is a blip on the map. He's writing to a city, Rome. Portland is a small city. He's writing to the New York. He's writing to the L.A. He's writing to the Tokyo. He's writing to the London. He's writing to the mega city of their world. And this is the comedic thing. They love Jesus and they're nobodies. They're a blip on the map. There are no church buildings. There's no gatherings. There's no public thing. There is no printed New Testament. People have heard the way of Jesus, but most mock it. And here's the one thing you're not allowed to say in Rome. There's only one God and there's only one way. Because in Roman thinking, culture, and belief, they believed in the spectrum, the pantheon 
of God. They believed in all of the powers. That's why if you go to Rome today, you will see various temples that go back to the ancient days to the various gods. So here comes the Jesus people saying there's only one creator God. By the way, he he revealed himself to a group of people called the Jews, the Israel. There's one creator and we're to worship him alone. And this creator stepped in and walked in the Middle East, in Palestine, and taught the way of life. And his name is Jesus. And they crucified him, but he rose again. He's alive. He ascended into the heaven, and he's going to return. And he wants you to commit your life over to his leadership and live. Is that not a joke? What kind of message is that? Those who are rich with the temples and the practices... And they're looking at these nobodies. Now, these nobodies included the rich and the poor. Some of the wealthiest people became followers of Jesus and the poor. And and men and women and slave and free. And they lived, hear this, they lived like brothers and sisters. So the rich gave their stuff away to those with nothing. And those who were bound by slavery honored their masters. And when they were sick, they would bring them in and love and care for them. In other words... They lived a totally different way that at first was ridiculous and then became attractive. So what I'm saying is his word to this church was keep the zeal. Why? Because you are on God's mission in Rome. And if you live the life of love and if you live the way of Jesus, people are going to experience him. In other words, there is work for us to do in helping people to experience life in Jesus. There's work for us to do. And if you're a Jesus follower, it's easy to forget that in the litany of to-do lists and bills and crowded schedules and caffeine that's good and weak. And I'm sorry, I haven't had enough coffee today. So you say things that come to mind and you get (laughs) dangerous. Forgive me. Anyway, I could use a, anyway, it's another story for another day. Which means to this group of people, keep the zeal, everything matters. Your life actually matters. What you do matters. How you study matters. The work that you do matters. The relationships you have. They all matter to God. And because all the things matter, look at what he says to another church. The church in Colossae, another big Roman city. He says in Colossians 3, I'll put it on the screen. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, the King, Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you do matters. So some of you say like, well, no, I'm, I mean, I want to follow Jesus, but there's Jesus' life and then there's the other, like business life or married life or money life. And for us, we say that makes no sense. There's just life. And because your life is now being led by Jesus, everything matters. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. Don't be lazy. As working for the Lord, not for human masters, even though we have human masters, we have real employers and real teachers and and real people in society. We'll get to that in Romans 13. How do we live this out in a world with various governments? All of that matters, right? But he's saying we actually serve someone else. Verse 24. Since you know you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ, the Messiah, that you're serving. Notice whatever you do. So everything matters. We'll go back to in thinking. Romans 12. Keep your zeal or in zeal. Don't be lazy because all of it matters. Now what I'm going to do is superimpose because I, okay, work and relationship, all those are important. I don't think though that's what he's talking about. Primarily, keep the zeal. Don't be lazy if you just read it in its setting, I think it goes back to Romans 12, 1. So I'm going to cut and paste, which is always dangerous with the Bible. But a disclaimer, I'm putting it in brackets. Look, look at verse 11 and light of verse 1. We'll put it on the screen. Don't be lazy in your call. Okay, that's verse 11. Don't be lazy in your call. The verse 1, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper Worship. So worship is singing, but that's not all of it. Worship and devotion to God in, in assumes that I'm not going to be lazy in it. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we want to know, God, what's your will for my life? What's your will for my life? And we go to the little details like, do you want me to go to this school or that school? And do you want me to be with this person or that person? Or do you want me to buy this or save that or give it away? And we're looking for all those things. And all those things matter. But what's most important is that our mind is transformed and we purpose and we are intentional that we're going to live the way of Jesus, which means we're going to get to know it. And which means we're going to be honest and evaluate, is what I learned in light of Jesus true? Or was it just what everybody told me? And I choose the way of Jesus over the way of our culture or over the way of our comfort. And let's talk about laziness. Everything in our culture is pushing you to work hard to be lazy. Everything, their entire stores committed to laziness. Think about, think about the movie theater down the street. It happened to be my favorite. Down the street, I won't name names, but they happen to have every seat in every theater is now recliner. Isn't that cool? And if you go to the really expensive one, they even put speakers under your seat so when something happens, you could totally shake while the movie's shaking. I mean, the whole thing, the whole, the whole industry is committed to not just watching a movie. Now we're going to make the aisles wider because people are terrible and, and seats wider right, for lots of reasons, but they go back, and now it's, it's all about you. We want to create this experience. It's like being in your living room where no one else exists, and there's you and your huge screen. Come, be entertained. And let me tell you, I'm there often because I enjoy it. But everything in our culture, if you're a young person, know this. Everyone is going to push you to work hard in school, to get a job, to make as much money so you could stop being productive early on and fool around for the rest of your life and waste it. And the way of Jesus says you are made for something higher and better. I told you, we're turning up the heat. Because laziness is where our culture is moving. And some of you who are upset that I'm even saying that, it's only proof that you bought the lie. You were made to be productive for God. God says to Adam and Eve, take this garden and change it. Produce something Beautiful. Make it wonderful. I've given you everything you need. Now you go do something. Not sit around and tool around and everything screaming at you. Young person, every, everything screaming around you is you need to have all of your joy now. You need to have all of your experiences now. If you haven't been to India and if you haven't been to Europe and if you haven't been to Asia, if you haven't been to Latin America, if you don't have photos from around the world, you're a nobody. And I would say to you that's a lie. Look at everyone's photos. Get a job and work hard. Work hard. You want to live like someone who's in their 60s who's worked all their life and you want it at 22. And that's ridiculous. And I haven't even gotten started and I've gone off notes and frankly, I don't care. <laughs> because to the Jesus follower, laziness, hear me, laziness is against the heart of God. Now, disclaimer, I am not saying that we shouldn't Sabbath and rest. God has created us with a rhythm of work and rest and work and rest. And if you do too much work without rest, you'll get out of whack and hurt yourself and get out of the rhythm of God. But I'm, I'm speaking to the most of the human race that's here or watching. And we've got to get out of the cycle of rest and get to work. Because we feel like 20 hours is enough and now I must relax. And not only do our ancestors and our forefathers and our older you know, grandparents and others prove that differently. But if you read scripture, when it comes to life, now that we belong to Jesus, we're called to work. Now, I don't think he's talking about brushing your teeth, making your bed, or your job, or everything I just said. I really think that Paul primarily, primarily all those are applications, primarily is talking about your pursuit of God and holiness, of learning to live like Jesus. So do not be lazy in your call to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Don't be lazy in your growth in Jesus. Don't be lazy in your pursuit of wanting to live more like him. Work hard at resisting the pattern of this age that says do what you want when you want and don't let anyone tell you what to do. We want to be a people who get Jesus and take him seriously. What am I saying? Don't live as a half-committed, partly excited, occasionally obedient, when it's convenient to you, Jesus follower. Don't live that way. And if you find yourself slipping into that pattern, and we do, okay? I'm not pointing at you. I'm pointing at me, and you happen to be in the room. Don't 
Stay there. If you find yourself in that season, get out. Here's why. Fired up fans are contagious. We, we know this. Fired up fans are contagious. Think of someone who takes that sport too seriously. Uh, we, we, all know, we all know someone. Okay, so it happens to be football season or whatever. But let's, let's, someone, when the big game is on, what are they wearing? Everything for their team. They're a fired up fan, right? And not only does it show up in their clothing, it shows up on their car. They have all the stuff in their car. It shows up in the flag outside their house, right? It shows up on the social media feed. It shows up in that they will pay way more than face value of the ticket to be at the game. The game. The game. We're going to be there. We're going to go to Stub, uh, StubHub or whatever that site is. And we're going to pay. Who cares? Because I need to be there. Because why? The team needs me. It needs, so when it's away game, I'm going to go to the away game because they, they need my support. No, they're already getting paid. They're already getting paid. And by the way, they don't know who you are. They don't know who you are at all. But I matters. I'm like the 11th man or 12th man or 15th man. I'm the, I'm the man and I'm there, man, male or female. I'm the person. And we get fired up. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not anti that. I'm not anti that at all. Because fired up fans are contagious. So the, you get that around the person who knows all the players and the stats. And to the, this, this season was a terrible season. But I tell you, we, we, we got this guy and that guy and the coach changed. And next season is going to be amazing. I'm, everyone's selling their season tickets. I'm buying. It's a great time to buy. The team, the game. And they get fired up about a game. But that's contagious. There's something about that person that says, man, I wish I was fired up about something. And I'm here to tell you, we ought to be fired up about life in God. We ought to be fired up about Jesus. We ought to be fired up about how he's changing us. We ought to be fired up about forgiveness. We need to be fired up about grace. We need to be fired up about mercy. We need to be fired up about purpose. And all of that comes to intentionality. Command, don't be lazy, get fired up. And we want to live this way, at least some of us. And if you're not there yet, totally cool, keep coming. And keep drinking the Kool-Aid. We'll keep pouring it every week until you get fired up. We drink water. It's, it's cheaper. But we're, we're, we're growing, right? We're growing. And, and why should we be fired up? And please, if you just heard what I was saying, hear this. We don't get fired up so that somehow God will love us. God's not looking for fired up fans because, like, if I put on... If I put on the Bible t-shirt and I wear the big Bible and carry the big Bible and put the, the Bible stuff on my car and it's on my feet and, 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 and so God's gonna, you're going to love me, right? And I'm going to work hard. I'm going to serve. Every time I say to serve, I'm going to be there. Because God, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. No, no. We don't, we don't become God's fan so that he'll love us. It's because he loves us that we want to serve him. It's because we're forgiven. It's because we've been adopted. It's because we have the Holy Spirit. It's because we're in God's mission. It's because of these things that we say in light of our culture that says we're the most important thing. We say, no, Jesus is most important. And I want to align my life with his. Which means whatever he says is good. And whatever he wants is great. And wherever he leads is best. In spite of everything else. I'm pursuing, I'm zealous about Jesus and his way. Everything I've just said so far, how does that sit with you? For some it's like, and others are like, wow, that's possible. My answer would be, it's a command. That we would go in that direction. And if you're not there yet, I'm just asking, do you want to be? Do you want, do you want more? Or have you become lazy? Say, I, I, I have eternal life. Uh, God is mine and I'm his. Great. Now I'm going to get on with my career and my family and my stuff. And, you know, I love God, sort of. Maybe. All right, that's the first thing. I told you that was a long one. The second one will be short. And then we, we need to turn the dial up a little bit. It will be short but sweet. Second one, write it down. Real love is set on fire. Real love is set on on fire. Look at the phrase again, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Keep your spiritual fervor. I want us to think about this phrase. It's a tricky one that you can translate multiple ways. They, in the end, they mean the same, but they highlight. So let me explain. You could translate it like the NIV, keep your spiritual, lowercase s, fervor. 
may you be ignited in your deepest parts, right? So be set on fire in your soul. You could also, because the phrase after it is serving the Lord, it's the same word pneuma, which can mean your spirit or could refer to the Holy Spirit. It's the same word. You could also, and some translators put it this way, be set on fire by the Holy Spirit, capital S. So both mean the same thing. It's something happens within you. Real love is set on fire. So whether, whether Paul's trying to say, like, in your soul, in your spirit, be stirred, or he's saying, be lit up by God himself serving the Lord, the end is the same. That something would happen within that real love is set to do something, either in your spirit or by the Holy Spirit, the end is the same, serving the Lord. That we would get out of ourselves in our own selfish way and we would ask God with zeal, with commitment, with desire, God, where could I be in line with you and doing your thing? I'm not talking about volunteering at church. Serving the Lord may mean being the best employee. Serving the Lord may be being the most fair and equitable owner-employer. It could be striving to be the most caring, helpful student. It could be being the husband that is like God, loving his church. You see what I'm saying? Serving is not just about a sign-up sheet and a time slot. It's about a way of life. Zeal, passion, working hard, it's a command. So what we're really asking, this one phrase is about this. What we're really asking is God, raise the temperature within us so we'll want you and to be like you and serve you all the more. To which I would ask, is that your desire? Do you even want that? Or has it been so long that even wanting that is hard to do? I'm here to encourage you, God wants to set us on fire. Now fire, some of you are thinking like, man, fire is like such a, I don't want to fire. Who wants their house to go on fire? No, a few schemers for insurance purposes. Most of the human race saying, I don't, I don't want my house to go on fire. It's not that kind of fire. Fire in Scripture has a lot of connotations, but very often, not always, very often it has a different idea than our natural tendency. So, so Moses is, is killed an Egyptian and he's off in the desert. And now he's got a family and he's working a job, working for his father-in-law. And God appears to him in what? Fire. He's doing his job. And there is a, a, a bush that is aflame without being consumed. It's, it, it appears like a fire. And he comes closer and, and God speaks to him, take those shoes off your own ground that is set apart. God is here. Fire. God's presence. It, it often refers back to God's presence. So much so that when Moses obeys and he goes to Pharaoh, you know what being set on fire will do? It'll make you do things you thought you could never do. Moses left Pharaoh, left Egypt because he killed an Egyptian. God says, go back to that very place and speak my words of life. Tell him the creator God is coming to set his people free. Oh, and by the way, all of your gods, all the gods that Moses grew up learning about and worshiping, they're low. They're without power. They submit to the power of the Creator. How about that? How's that for a popular message? But he's serving the Lord. He, he hears God's voice and he says, I, I, I don't even have a tongue that could speak. And God says, you're not going to get out on this one. I'll get, I'll get Aaron to come with you and he'll be like your, your mouthpiece. Go to my people. And if you think it's just for Moses, as Israel comes out of slavery, what happens? They're in the desert and God leads them in the night by what? Fire. God's in front. He's there. It's a sign of his presence. So what we're saying, God set us on fire. We're saying we want more of your presence in our life and in our world. And we want it to make a difference. We want it to change our direction. We don't want it the same old, same old. And you know when we mess it up, there's fire. Israel messes it up. God gives them the land. God's faithful. And they go worship all the other gods. They give up on God. They, they treat God like a nobody. And God speaks to the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah says, and Jerusalem will be cleansed as if with a fire. In other words, God's even going to burn away their disobedience. And God is going to bring the people back. When we're faithless, God's faithful with fire. 
And then you've got, you've got John the Baptist. He comes and people think, wow, this is God's Messiah, right? So, so John, are you the one? Are you the one? And what does John the Baptist say? He says, I'm not the one. Uh, the one who comes after me, his shoes, I can't even tie up. I don't, I'm not worthy. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with what? And with fire. See, fire isn't destructive. It just burns away the things that are not like God and gives us uh, the ability to see his presence. What we need is fire. So in Acts chapter 2, Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm going to give you my spirit. And the spirit comes on them when they're in the room praying. And everyone begins to speak in other languages. And they have what appeared to be as tongues of fire above their heads. God's presence was with them. This fire doesn't destroy in scripture most of the time. Now there's the lake of fire. Which talks about the destruction of those that refuse God to love. But most of the time in here I think what. Paul's referring to, I think he's building on this metaphor that God wants to burn away our rebellion and burn away our laziness and set us on fire for him. So he says to the church in Thessalonica, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not put out the Holy Spirit's fire. Here's what I encourage you to do. Get a candle at home, hopefully some scent or whatever. Light it up and all you need to do, you don't need to douse it with water. All you need to do is put the cover on the candle, right? On the jar, put the cover on the candle and the oxygen is gone and the fire goes out. Can I just tell you, in life, what often happens when it comes to following Jesus is not some big gross sin. It's that we don't allow the oxygen to stoke the fire. We crowd ourselves with all sorts of stuff, looking, 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 wanting, we want, we want life, we want life. So we grab to everything other than Jesus and we find ourselves quenched. We find ourselves with a flicker. We find ourselves with the smoke. We used to follow with passion, but now here we are. Fire is a beautiful metaphor of a life burning with a passion for God. And in that sense of the term, I am praying desperately that God would light this church on fire. That He'd light you on fire. Not in some emotional experience, although often we need that to get ourselves recalibrated. Often we need that. But fire, if you have it, is light when people can't see. You're in the workplace, you're at school, you're in the neighborhood, and people don't know what God is like. Guess what? If you're on fire, your life is light and people can see. And fire is helpful like when it's cold and people feel like they don't know what to do and depression sets in. You can be fire which brings warmth and joy. Just go when you're freezing cold to someone's house or the fireplace and it's just wonderful like Fire is a beautiful thing. And when you have it from God, it will impact. Fire removes impurity. You get the greatest thing, gold, silver, or whatever. And it looks good and it may look perfect, but you light it with fire. And that which is beautiful becomes even better. And, and, and that precious metal, the junk will rise to the surface and you can skim it off. It was already gold, but now it's gold gold. It's been refined by fire. What I'm saying is that if, if we don't think we need it, then we need it more than we think. We need the fire of God. And let's face it, the temptation in life and in all relationships will be to slow down and peter out. Think about it. You started, you took $385,000 in student loans because you believed that you were going to be the best, whatever, whatever. And then you got the job and you did the job for a while. Now you're 15 years in. And the job has become lame and boring. Something happens within you and the passion goes. It happens in relationships. It happens all the time. It doesn't have to. But you start and this roommate or this friend or a girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, whatever. You commit to a long-term whatever. And you start with all this excitement. And something happens, either you or them or usually both. And then you lose the fire, right? The passion. And... I, I would just hope that in our life, we wouldn't stay there when it comes to Jesus. Can we be honest? Some of us are following Jesus in name, but in our soul, we don't know where he is. I mean, he's with you. He said, I'll never leave you. But man, his presence seems so far away that if he were right here, I wouldn't even know it. And can I just say, it's okay if you don't stay there. It's okay to be there because we all get there. 
but it's not okay to live there. And so we're asking God by the Holy Spirit to set us on fire. So, so everybody needs this. Paul writes a letter to a leader, Timothy, who's a leader in the church. He's a pastor in one of the churches that Paul helped establish. And guess what? Paul's now in jail. How would you like it? Your boss plants a church, leaves you in charge, and then he gets thrown in prison. Falsely accused. Everyone says that Paul's off. He's teaching heresy. He's weak. God's not with him. And he writes a letter to Timothy. That's affecting him. You know, we all get impacted by stuff in life. And Timothy didn't know what to do. I mean, he didn't realize Paul was going to actually write much of the New Testament. Like, he's just like following the spiritual leader. And look at what Paul says, 2 Timothy 1, 6-8. I remind you, Timothy, fan in the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about Jesus or our Lord or, and catch this, of me, his prisoner. In other words, everyone else is giving up on me. Don't give up on me. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. All of us go through tough things uh, in life. All of us go through tough times in life. Can I encourage you, in those moments, ask God to fan in the flame what's in you. Because what Paul needed to tell Timothy is don't shrink back and challenge will do that. Uh, misunderstandings will do that. Uh, people's words will do that. And God's word to you today is fan in the flame. What's needed is more fire. Now I'm sharing this. This isn't theory. Uh, I realized, and as I typed this, it was really weird. Because I'm like, wow, that's been a long time. I, I preached my first message 30 years ago now. I was a teenager, to our high school group. I actually remember what I preached, and I thank God they didn't record it. Thank God. As a matter of fact, because I grew up uh, in the era of the cassette tape, I think the first decade of everything I said is gone. It's just, I mean, Jesus remembers it, but nobody else. And I'm so grateful for it because I'd probably, I, I'm convinced, I remember the room I was in. It was the chapel in our church, which was powder blue. So when people had their wedding receptions, it was the, it was the 80s. It was powder blue. And, and quaint, and I, I remember I must have fasted and prayed when they said you could preach. And I, I, I'm sure I yelled the entire time and spit on everybody. I, I was all zeal, like committed to Jesus. And, and I, I had no knowledge, but I was, I was full of passion, right? That was 30 years ago. And I remember the early days of getting able to preach. And, and just, you know, I'd take this time to be with God and make sure every sin I did, my brothers did, my parents, I confessed everybody's sin and I wanted... And then you do this for a living, and you do it every week. And what's, what's possible but shouldn't happen is that you go on autopilot and you lose the fire. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, I need Jesus to light me up, and I need Jesus to light us up. Experience alone will not produce fire. See, time could be your friend, but it could be your enemy. What do I mean by that? You could say, well, I've been following Jesus for 30 years. Does, that does not mean you've been productive for 30 years. You could have spent 28 years in unproductive laziness, calling yourself a Jesus follower, saying you're passionate about things of God, but you're content with everyone else to do the heavy lifting, and I'm just going to consume everything I can. That does not have to be you. And if that has been you, the word of the day is repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus wants to light us up so that we're everything he wants us to be. I told you the heat was coming and we need it because God wants to do something through us. Here's, here's the point. It's not just about us. God wants us to be productive and he wants everyone in this entire area. You know, 250,000 people are within a drivable distance of this church. And I am convinced he wants 250,000 people in this drivable area to follow him. He wants them to. But we're like, well, I'm not sure. And what we need is the fire. So here's what's going to be helpful. Only God can, can light you up. I, I can't. Like I, can, I can try. I can encourage you. But I, I, only God by his Holy Spirit can come and produce a deep joy and a deep desire to follow him. But here's what you can do. Find some people that are further lit up than you. That's what I would encourage you to do. So Timothy had Paul. Paul had enough relationship where he could say, 
Timothy, fan in the flame. I know your grandmother. I knew your mother. And I know that faith is in you. I was there when, the, when we laid hands on you. And the gift of God, whatever that was, the gift of God, we knew that gift was imparted to you. And I'm saying, use it. And he does say, do the work of an evangelist, Timothy. Do the work. Evidently, there had been some stirring that he wasn't doing. And so he says, do it. And so we want the Holy Spirit of God to use people, not just the Bible, people in our world. And I've got people like that, and I hope you do too. Uh, I'm going to give you one. I could give you a thousand. But one, one hero, Luis Palau. I met him. when, and so many, I, I use him because he lives here in Portland. So many of you know him. But I met him when he was just about to turn 60. And I think now, now I'm 45, right? And I realized he had more zeal at 60 than I have at 45. And that annoys me. But not, not, not in the competitive sense. But it's like, God, if you could give him that much passion. This dude wants everyone to hear the gospel again and again and again and again. So at 45, 60, now at 83, he's preaching with passion. I was with him the other day. And he's talking about in 2020, wouldn't it be great in 2020 if everyone heard the gospel around the world in one year. Like, that, this guy is nuts. He's on fire. So here's the beautiful thing. God uses men and women in our life to stir us to say, man, there's more, there's more, there's more. Now, I'm not going to speak to as many people as he did. So I'm, it's not a competitive thing. God gives some ten talents, some five talents, some one talent. People have been given different responsibilities, right? So we're not jealous. We're not like depressed. But we, we want to make the most of what God has given us. And so I, I remember um, first time Luis Palau I got to hear him preach. I was his driver because we were in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and no one else knew the place. I did. This is pre-phone GPS. I got a chance, right? And so I drove to his hotel room to pick him up. I'm like, this, I'm 20 years old, 21 years old. I'm like, this is the greatest honor. And I knock on the door. He's like, hello, Jose, come on in. And I'm like, I get to go in his hotel room. And I was like, yes, sir. You, you know, I had my tie on, shirt back in the day. And then he comes and says, let's have a prayer. I'm like, sure. And, and he just drops to his knees by his bed. He and his son Andrew is there and some others. And he's like, I'm like, oh, okay. We're going to old school. Here we go. You know, I get down on my knees. And so, and he just starts pleading, weeping. Like, who is this crazy man? Weeping. God, may everyone hear your voice and may they love you. After that preaching, People respond to Christ. I'm driving him back to the hotel room. He says, stop. And I'm like, what? What did I do something? He jumps out of the car, jumps out of the car, and sees a woman who's wearing a head turban who he recognized was Muslim and has a conversation with her for 20 minutes, honoring her for coming to a Christian meeting to find out more about Jesus. Fire. Now, I'm in tears because of me and because uh, we need to pray for Luis Palau. Um, we do. He found out Friday some serious medical news. He's going to be sharing about it. But he's asked his friends to pray and we're his friends. So we just need, he's got something that's real serious. And so he's like, please have the church pray. I'm like, guaranteed. He'll share more in the weeks to come, but can we just stop? And let's, let's pray for our brother. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Luis Palau. We thank you that you set him on fire. And at 83, he just, he wants everyone to love you because he knows your heart. And he somehow sees what you see. So, Lord, we pray healing over his body. We pray peace over he and Pat. We pray for the whole family and the ministry. And we don't know, Lord, but we know you. And we know that you're faithful. You're faithful. You're faithful. So we pray your kingdom come. Your will be done over his entire world as it is in heaven already. Amen. All right. I need to bring this to us. And we're going to respond differently this weekend because this is just right. What do we need? We need more people set on fire. That's, that's just what we need. And the question this morning is, is that you? Is that you? Do you, do you want... Is, this, is there a stirring in your soul to say, man, I, I don't even know if I could get there. But I, if you want to be set on fire, know this. The Spirit of God, if you're a Jesus follower, already lives within you. And he's waiting for you to ask. 
give him room to do what he does. So will you invite the Holy Spirit to set you on fire again? You say, Jose, I've been following Jesus a long time. Doesn't mean you're lit up. Doesn't mean that you're passionate. Doesn't mean that you're persistent. Doesn't mean that you're faithful. Doesn't mean that you're going his ways. But you can. So to admit that we need more is not a sign of defeat. It's a sign of strength. Because we need him and he's here. All right. So we want to respond. We want more. I'm going to invite the team to come. And we we think about each message and what's the best response. And friend, the best I could think of, because this wasn't even the message as of last night, this was not the message for today, is, is to call you to want more of Him. And oftentimes our response to what we hear sets the trajectory for what God will do in our world. So today if you hear your voice, Hebrews says twice. Today if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart as it did in the desert. Don't harden your heart. Today, if you heard something that was a little tough, don't harden your heart. Keep yourself tender to God. But what I'm going to ask you to do is when we, when we respond in singing, which is a form of worship, that if you know in your own soul that you, you want God, set me on fire. I, I, I want to be where I was, or I want to go in a direction that I didn't even know is possible. I'm going to invite you to take a very big step of faith and as worship happens, to get out of your seat and to come to the front here and front and side. Or it's a little loud right here. The subwoofers are here, no joke. But here on the side, as a sign, sign, you walking doesn't impress God. But taking steps of obedience with a heart that matches it is exactly the place that God wants us to be. And I'm going to invite you to come. You don't have to. But if that's who you say, I want more. And, and just make it here. And if you can get on your knees, if that's physically possible, great. If not, stand. And one of our team, one of our leaders, they know who they are. Uh, they're just going to come and, 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 and put a hand on you and lovingly pray God's life over your life. And that's it. And, and I would say stay here as long as you want. Our response time will be different. We're not going to go to the tables. This is it, right? want to make space for you to encounter the living God and for him to light, light the fire within. Who knows what the next 20 years will look like because of your obedience right now. So I encourage you, stand on your feet if you would, church, and stand on your feet and let's, let's ask together, Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and that because of your love and because of your work, Jesus, because of your death and your resurrection and your ascension, your promise to return, we're guaranteed life in you. This is this, we just know we're safe and we're secure in your arms. But God, our heart, it drifts. It just, it drifts. And this morning we want to come home to your love and we want to ask you to burn away the things that are life killing and to release the Holy Spirit's presence in our world that we could be more life-giving so that others would know that you are the king. So we come to you, Lord, and whatever we need, we come to you, Lord. Whatever we need, we come to you, Lord, and we say, do your work in us, we pray. Amen. Just respond as...